Would you take God's word and turn to Jonah chapter 4? There's a very powerful song we just sang. There's a lot of implications to not only singing that, but also praying that as a prayer. For those that are visiting, we've been doing a series in the book of Jonah, and we're looking at the first four verses of Jonah 4 this morning. Before we get into the context, into the context of the day, you know, this coming week is Veterans Day. And I think it's difficult at our stage of journey in America to appreciate the cost of lives and service given so that we have what we have. I mean, you look at a lot of the ingratitude, you look at a lot of just what people are talking about, and they just have no concept of what was given so that we have these privileges. For the most part, I think we do not even know what we have, but we are blessed to have it. So as a church, we want to thank those that have been in service for this country throughout several generations. Um, If you're here and you served in some capacity in one of the military arms, um, I'm going to have you please stand. Thanks. That's our appreciation. Okay, thank you. Let me encourage you to thank someone this week that you see. Maybe buy them a cup of coffee, lunch, give them a note, listen to their story. But I think that's some of the ways we can just appreciate the sacrifice they gave. I was also thinking when I'm looking at Jonah and looking how Jonah is responding to a nation that repents, I think what's true for our nation is also true for the church. I think both past and present, in America, for the most part, we just think about us. But there's price being paid in people's lives all around the world, even this morning. People that have to stand up for their faith and they lose their livelihood, they lose their jobs, they lose their kids or their spouse. Some are thrown in prison. I think about the amount of volunteers that exists down through the years in a church even like ours. Volunteers that teach our kids. By the way, as you know, we're getting more and more kids in. Can you tell that? And when there's more kids, we need more what? Volunteers. I call them influencers. When you think about what's happening today in our whole culture, um, to me, the necessity of ratcheting up our game in terms of sitting down and being with our kids is just all that more important. Um, They're not going to be getting it out there in our culture. So we need to make sure they get it here inside our families. Teach our kids there's adult Bible studies, people that take care of our buildings. I just really think we need to let go of this consumer mentality that says it's all about me. And we have to look at our influence. Because when it's consumer mentality, we lose our influence. So here we are at the closing chapter, Jonah 4. In this chapter, there's three questions. We're going to deal with the first one this week, the other two next week. They're similar, and yet they're different. But for Jonah, at this point, it was not a happily ever after moment. He's like the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son, 
The son left, dishonored her father, squandered away all his wealth, came back, and dad throws a party. And the brother throws a fit. And the brother's angry. He's livid. And he's outside of the celebration telling his father why all this is so wrong and why his anger is so right. I mean, this is where we see Jonah. So let's pick up chapter 4, the first four verses. This is after the repentance. This is after the city goes into complete revival. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? This is God's word. Now, I want to start where we finished last week. I'll just read it to you. You can listen to it. It's in verse 10 of chapter 3. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. You know, we have the word of the Lord coming to Jonah the first time. We have the word of the Lord coming to him the second time. And he goes and he preaches the word of the Lord. I hope we realize that the word of God is more powerful than we can imagine. I mean, think about this. Jonah preached to his toughest audience. And the word of God struck their hearts. It changed their behaviors. They listened and they repented. Words matter. And the word of God matters. Now, a very quick cultural analysis is we make words mean whatever we want them to mean. And we have today what's called a war on words. For instance, we did baby dedication. If you didn't hear, we're not supposed to call mothers mothers anymore because that's demeaning. One of the things we're supposed to call them is birthing parent or birthing person. See, we make words mean whatever they want. Take abortion. We call it what? Women's health care. And somehow, some way, we think if we change the words, well, I don't know what we're hoping for. And yet, the paradox today is this. There's this philosophical chant. Here's what it says. There is no objective truth. That's what they're saying. Truth is ever whatever you want to make it by the choice of words you use. Now, here's my problem with that. They must inevitably explain how they came to regard their statement as objectively true. <laughs> if there's no objective truth. I mean, think about it. But what I want to stress this morning is that the word of God is vital. It's always been. And it's critical the church does not approach the word of God with what it wants to find rather than what is there. And there is nothing new to this, okay? This has been generational. Churches and denominations have always acquiesced to cultural alliances. And I have to confess, though, that I do not recall a time when there seems to be a major shift in the manipulation of God's truth, bowing to cultural truth in my 43 years of ministry. Now, I could be wrong in that, but it just seems to happening so... And it makes me sad. 
Even Jonah. If you didn't notice, he quoted scripture. Now he had a wrong heart. He wasn't quoting it for the right reasons, but he quoted Exodus 34, verse 6. And here's what this says. The Lord, the Lord God, a merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I mean, that was the verse he was quoting. We know Satan in the temptation of Jesus did what? He quotes scripture. Now, the technical term for all this is eisegesis. Eisegesis is approaching anything like the Bible with preconceived ideas. And when you do that, you make it say what you want it to say. So you sit there with the idea, you go to the Bible, and you say, look, I'm right. Now, in our culture, in the social sciences, they call this confirmation bias. You approach the matter, and you say, this is what should happen. We shouldn't call mom's mom. We should call them birthing parents. And they believe they're right. I don't care. I'm still going to call my mom mom. I heard one applause. Now, let me read a few passages of encouragement in our present day, okay? These passages talk about the word of God, the word of Christ, the word of the cross. And this is what happens when God's word intersects with culture. I think it gives us insight and strength. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So some people just won't get it. That's okay. Till the Holy Spirit enlightens their mind and their heart, they're not going to get it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. So you, you see this disgraceful, underhanded, cunning, tampering with God's word. He says, we don't do that, and we don't lose hearts. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. It's kind of saying this. You can say whatever you want about me. I know I'm human. I know I make mistakes. But did I speak the truth of God's word? That's what I measure my life by. Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. I mean, think about that. They can tie us up, they can kill us, they can throw us in prison, but God's word is not bound. So the word of God comes to Jonah, and he is angry, and he has a meltdown. And if you play a little bit, you can imagine if he's like us, He's thinking things like this. What will happen when I go home? I mean, he knows that when prophets say things that God wants them to say and the people don't like it, what do they, what do, they do? They usually kill them or throw them in pits or beat them. So he's probably saying, what's going to happen to my role as a prophet? 
And he's so emotionally distraught. At this point, he says he wants to die. And his justification for his anger is that he knew what would happen. He knew that God would have mercy on a group of people that Jonah had decided should not receive mercy. Now, you hear that. How many times do we, with our Ninevehs, declare God should not have mercy on that person for these reasons? Why? Because Ninevites were people that committed unthinkable evils towards Israel. I mean, if you go down through the list, it is an absolute horror list of how they were brutal to the Israelites and to the rest of the world. And so in Jonah's mind, God should not extend his grace and mercy to such a vile people. The reality is Jonah had trouble with God's truth. Now, I think about today. With the onslaught of the internet, one of the advantages slash disadvantages that we now get the evils of our world in our living rooms. And we get any new story around the world that we want. Sometimes it comes through movies, movies that depict the horrors of our world. It could be a movie about war or inhumanity, the sex slave trade or violence. Sometimes it comes through stories. I know there's times, there's real life experiences that are, that are part of your story. I know you hear me say things like this at times. I wish I did not know some things I know. And that's because of the stories and the amount of evil that exists in some people's lives. I mean, mostly for me, because of my background works, it relates to ritual and child sexual abuse. And I got to tell you, that haunts people for most of their lives. So there are people that wrestle with their Ninevehs. And we understand this too. It's both sides of the wrestling. It's evil that's done to them, but it's also the evil they've done to others. Can you imagine Nineveh when it repented? The reality of their evil came into focus. Can you imagine what that did to their souls? I think we forget that side of the equation sometimes. There was a man that I knew that was converted later in his life, was up in Canada, and he was dying. That's where I met him. He was around 58 years old. When he was 25, he got terminal cancer, and he made a deal with God that if God would heal him, he'd be devoted to God for the rest of his life. And God healed him. And he went on to live not a godly life, but an evil life. In public, it looked godly. In private, in secret, it was evil. His counsel returned, and he confessed that, okay, there's no deals this time. You know, I need to confess before God, but I also need to confess before people. And so I walked with him. And he made his journey, meeting with people, situations, circumstances, just recounting what he had done, what he's stolen, and all these kinds of things. And one day he came to me, and he was in tears, and he says, I have something very difficult to do. And I don't know if I have the strength to do it. And so we prayed for strength. Now, I never asked what that was because if he wanted me to know, he would tell me. I mean, that's how I operate. He died a short time later, like a week later. 
I never knew if he accomplished what he set out to accomplish until after his funeral. His daughters came and they wanted to talk to me along with his wife. And evidently this fine, upstanding man in the community had been molesting his daughters all of their lives, even after they got married. And they had carried this in secret and had done their damage. It destroyed their souls. And before his death, he went and confessed to his wife and his daughters and asked for forgiveness, realizing they probably would not be able to forgive him. But he wanted to take responsibility for what he had done and said, listen, this is not on you. This is on me. This is what was wrong with me, nothing you did. As I sat and listened, and of course, all the repressed emotions and anger came out. I said to myself, as I say many times, how do you let go and forgive something like that? I mean, how do you do it? But I've seen this time and time again, and I, I, I don't know when it happens. I don't know how it happens, but I see the word of God come alongside and bring healing to what only God can bring healing to. But I say this because in this equation, both sides needed the word of God to do its job. Not only those the evils perpetuated upon, but those who perpetuated the evil. Now, I hope all this makes sense. Because to me, the role of the church is to walk with people. And by that, I, I don't mean, it, okay, we're going to pray and, you know, God will do this. I call it taking the shortcut. No. Um, it's being community. It's walking with people. And, and some get it and others keep running, but we just keep walking. And we see God doing this with Jonah. Now, we're going to see more of that next week. But even though Jonah's angry, he wants to die, God just kind of hangs in with him. But here's what I've learned through the years. If we're going to navigate this world and all the evil and what we see and experience, the church needs to be the church. Amen? Amen. Can't be this little consumer thing that we put on a great show on Sunday mornings. Can't be this where the celebrity pastor comes out and says, wow, don't we have a great pastor? It has to believe the word of God. It has to live the word of God. It has to allow the word of God to do its work. And our work is done in community. And it's done in large groups. It's done in small groups. You know, we call them sometimes classes that we teach in Sunday mornings. And we do it one-on-one. -on -one. We do it with our children. I mean, our, our teachers that teach our children have incredible influence. But we have to come alongside of the parents. We've got to speak life into our kids. When you study cultural analysis, they claim that we live in a culture of death. And I don't have time to explain what they mean by that, but that's what they're saying. We know that lies bring death to our souls. We can't even have civil dialogue with people anymore that we disagree with. I mean, that's how broken our culture is. And when God brings people here who are broken... We don't need to break them any further. But the first thing we got to confess is that we're all broken to some degree. We don't do the codependent thing and not speak truth in the name of love because we don't want to offend or hurt their feelings. But truth is always partnered with grace and mercy. And we must stop making excuses and start confessing one to another. And we're going to see that next week with the other two questions, how God deals with Jonah. I know for me, the frustrating part, if you read the end already, is that it's a cliffhanger. 
We don't know what Jonah decides. Got to wait till we see Jonah face to face and say, what happened, Jonah? What really happened after this? Now, part of our dilemma in our culture is that, have you ever noticed we we minimize what we do and we maximize what others do? Have you noticed that? Oh, what I did wasn't all that bad. What they did, oh, that was so bad. Can you believe it? Now, if you don't believe me, this is seen in our driving habits. When you cut someone off and you say, thank you, you know, I'm in a hurry. When they cut you off, what do you do? What are those idiots doing, you know? I say all this because we must be angry at the right things. What are the right things? Well, we learn what the right things are in God's word. I encourage you sometime, and, and we'll get a little bit into this next week, but do a study on what ticks God off. Because if we're going to be angry at the things that make God angry, we got to know what makes God angry. And if you do a study what made Jesus angry, it'll probably surprise you because where he got most angry is at what we now call the church. It's religious people. So what's the point of all this? Let me say it this way. Jonah lost something. He replaced God with something else that he valued more than his relationship with God. We call that a heart issue. In our story, we saw the storms of the sea that rocked his world. He has a storm going on inside his heart right now. And the result is explosive anger. The result is purposelessness. I have no meaning in life. I might as well die. And this kind of anger, this kind of lack of purpose always begins with him. Now, there's a word that we use for this in Scripture. It's called self-righteousness. When you study righteousness or right things in Scripture, righteousness, true righteousness, always humbles us, critiques us, and encourages us. Righteousness always points us to healthy fruit. In other words, we grow. Self-righteous, it's all about us. We apply it to our jobs, our marriages, our churches, and if we don't get what we think is right, we what? We get angry. We get angry enough to trade those things in at times, whether it's our job or marriages or churches. In fact, we're so convinced that we're right, we use Scripture to justify why we are right. And religious leaders of Jesus' day did this constantly. And they were angry. They were angry that God didn't send a Messiah like they wanted and they end up killing the very Messiah they prayed for. I mean, that's how distorted these storms inside lead us. We must realize that all good things we can make into an idol. When we take control, when it becomes where we draw our value and our purpose, you know, I did a wedding yesterday for one of my nieces, and one of my key points simply was this that unless you find fulfillment in Christ, you're not going to find fulfillment in your marriage. Because God can only heal some of those holes. Your husband can't, your wife can't. But it's only when we give ourselves selflessly in marriage that we end up finding the path that God called us to be on. So Jonah, in the belly of the fish, he prayed a very different prayer than we see now. This one now still has a lot of pride attached to it. Yes, he needed mercy, but not on the same level as those Ninevites. 
God was speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. Here's what he says about this whole heart issue. Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. I mean, think about what you brag about. Think about what you value. Think about what you hold up. Think about what you say, look at me, world. He goes, you know what? It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how mighty or valuable you are. It doesn't matter how rich you are. But him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Jonah traded in his love for God for another idol, and he can no longer understand and know God in this level. That this is what God does. This is what God did for him. This is what God did when he chose Israel as a nation. Most of what we deal with is a heart issue. So, I'm going to call the worship team up. But before we sing, I got some homework for you, okay? We're going to look more at this next week. But here's what I want you to do, and be honest about this. What makes you angry? Now, again, anger has many faces, but I want you to monitor your reactions this week. I know for some of you, you're going to have about the list of when you're driving. This makes me angry, you know. When they're sitting at a stop sign, I mean, at a red light, it turns green, and they're busy texting away, and they can't move until the light turns red again. Yeah, put that down. Be honest enough, okay? And then after you see this list, put the question that God asks beside those things. Do you do well to be angry? Do you have a right to be angry about this? And then we'll look at the other two questions next week. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. It is truth. We don't always like the truth that it gives to us, and yet we know it brings life. So I pray for all of us here this morning, Lord, as we struggle with where we're at. Um, Whether it's something that was done to us or something we've done to other people. May we allow your righteousness just to fall through us and in us and around us. Because in that setting, you will direct our paths. And you will help us forgive the unforgivable. You will help us to see things we never saw. You'll help us let go of our anger. Because anger leads us down a dark path. I pray for all that are here this morning that are struggling exactly what Jonah struggled with this sense of purposelessness. Why, you know, what am I here for? I just, I just want to die. I pray this week that you bring somebody into their life to have a conversation that really speaks about the light that God can be in and through them. I pray for us as a church, Lord, that we find our hope, we find our purpose, we find our mission in you. And no matter the storms we have in our world, May this be a safe place. May this be a place of peace. May this be a place where God's word is active and it's alive and it does what it's called to do. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen.
Let's stand as we worship.